this week, um, actually, let me encourage you to do this. I, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. This is only covering ten chapters in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Read sequentially through this time, and to some degree, reread. Like, uh, Shay, you were mentioning about the uh, paralytic from life healed, right? And they have to show, so, oh, wow, he's crippled, he's getting up, that kind of thing. But he wasn't, like, limping in a little bit like he was there. He really was bouncing around. He had some joy. Why? Why do we know that? Because that's what the scriptures teach us, right? And so they're doing some dramatic license to be able to try to articulate a story in a short amount of time frame. understand that. But read through um, Acts as we're walking through this series and reread through it. Last week, I quoted a good section of Acts 2. I'm so thankful when I have to quote scripture sometimes on Sunday morning, so don't get worried I'm going to mess it up. But when I went back to refresh and rememorize Acts 2 last week that I shared with you, it, it just pulls me into the text. It pulls me into the story. It pulls me into opening myself up into real time for the Holy Spirit himself. And so walk through the scripture as well as with the series and as I'll encourage you later on, continue to dialogue one with another and uh, be a part of some of the communities that are walking through it as a study in a series. Well, many of us uh, woke up to news yesterday uh, concerning this type of scene that's in Nepal. Now over 2,500 people they know that are dead, and I'm sure that number will continue to rise. A 7.8 earthquake in uh, close to the Kathmandu area, and uh, they had a 6.8 aftershock even this morning. Many, uh, of course, in the outlying areas uh, were killed, including uh, people who were climbing Mount Everest, and a number of people killed there, including um, an executive from Google. And we take step back when that happens. And, and now that I live on the West Coast, I really start to take step back when I hear more about earthquakes, right? Um, but the reality is things can happen at any moment that alter the course of our lives and our communities. Tragedy happens. Well, this morning I, I opened up my phone and uh, maybe some of you have news feeds on your phone. And, and this was the news feed that uh, was on my phone, one of them. Nepal earthquake. U.S. pastor Tony Miano sparks outcry by suggesting Nepalis should not rebuild their quote-unquote pagan shrines. A former Los Angeles police officer and self-styled preacher has sparked outcry by suggesting that Nepalis should not rebuild their pagan shrines and instead convert to Christianity. As an outspoken conservative who has previously been accused of homophobia triggered angry responses when he posted a series of messages on social media expressing sympathy for the people struck by the devastation in Nepal, but suggesting God was angry. He is based in California, describes himself as an open-air preacher, so on and so forth. His ministry in Nepal, which has a population of around 28 million people, is around 85% Hindu. There is a significant population of Buddhists, followed by several other minority communities, including Muslim and Christian. Now, you might have different responses to that. Uh, my first response is always to cringe. I'm like, oh, no, another preacher saying something that, you know, gets put out in media that makes, you, makes us look like we're unsympathetic kind of people. 
And um, that's definitely something always of concern. But as I started to give a second or third thought to the whole idea of this preacher saying, don't rebuild your shrines, but convert to Christianity, we are aghast with, well, how dare he? How dare he say something like that? But do you realize just as much as you might have a cringe factor at that kind of thing, what was happening in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, on the heels of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, was even more aghast. How would you dare think about the Jewish religion and that this person who came you know, from this kind of background and, these, that, and didn't obey this, this, and this, that this person would be the Messiah? How dare you believe that somebody would claim to be God Himself? How dare you believe that somebody would be raised from the dead when some people believe there was no resurrection from the dead? You're taken back and you go, oh my goodness. Just as surely as there is a battle today, there was a battle then. And just as surely as we step back and we think about the battles across the world concerning people, whether they are Christ followers or not, or what type of religion they are following or not, there is a battle going on in even this very room, in this community, in our sector of this state, over what is truth. And what is not truth. And though we need to be kind. And yes, there is some level of tolerance that you need to have and let people. We should never be shy about proclaiming the boldness of the truth. Because here's the reality. Those shrines that toppled during the earthquake ultimately have no power and no hope for the people of Nepal. Paul's on the north part of India. In fact, I was sharing with some people originally from India this very week, and I was interacting and reflecting upon some of my journeys that I've had in that area. Hundreds of thousands of gods, deities. And you wonder, well, it's there. That's what they were raised in. We just sort of let people go with what they're raised in. People find their way. Even kids, let's not make them go to church or anything. Let's just sort of let them find their own way. Friends, do you not understand that culture is pressing us into a mold and there is no one who is truly an atheist? Not just because you can't claim there is no God unless you yourself are God. Everybody has some type of belief or world system that they follow and give credence to. And I thought one of my thoughts on the heels of what this gentleman said about the whole idea of don't rebuild those shrines, you know, convert to Christianity. I'm like, you know, it's interesting. We can look at a picture like this and see some of these statues and crumble and say to ourselves, yeah, those shrines need to crumble, you know, put Christianity there. But what's climbing to our culture? What kind of shrines do we have? Fame, prosperity, success. What are the shrines that we worship in our culture? What are the shrines that you've been devoting your energies to this very week? And yea, nay, I don't believe that God causes natural events for punishment or because of his anger, though we are mindful because of this series. There are certain episodes, even in Acts 4, where things trembled and there was the resurrection and there was the earthquake and the renting of the veil in the temple. God can use natural events to speak to his people. And who knows what God could do through something like this earthquake in Nepal. And it's great. Uh, even I got word this morning about some boots on the ground Christians. People actively involved and in trying to, to reach in. And not you know, just you know, communicate the power of Jesus' resurrection. But also to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a time of need. 
I, I don't know about all that, but I tell you what, God looks at every culture, every generation, every community, every sector of career life, and he identifies that we all easily are prone to worship other shrines than to worship Jesus. And Caiaphas in that film clip this morning, even the religious elite, you know, the heat of the day kinds of religious people had a hard time bending their knee and falling in worship before Jesus Christ. So let's not be too, um, I don't know, snobbish concerning how we are so cultured. That would be my response when I read a news feed like that. We all have shrines that need to be demolished. We all need to convert to being the Christ follower, the one who is the way and is the hope and is the life. But be mindful. That is a very bold claim for you to make. Even a bold claim for me to stand in front of a room like this. Now, I'm fine, as we mentioned last week, in the culture like this for me to stand here. But if we were in other cultures proclaiming Jesus Christ, the very life of the church body itself could be threatened. And so one of the things I carry from the Life 80 series is this reality. Nothing ever changes. Humanity Same yesterday, today, forever. Nothing ever changes related to humanity, fallen, broken humanity that needs to be changed and redeemed. God is calling forward into a new heaven and a new earth where he will make all things right someday. And we are in this crucible of time, the 70, 80 years given to us, and we all have the opportunity to decide one direction or another who you're going to serve, who you're going to follow. And so here's Peter and John being released from that particular prison episode and him boldly declaring, this Jesus whom you crucified, but God has raised, resurrected from the dead. 2,000 years later, we are still engaged in the same declaration of what Jesus was doing. Now, in this, I want to declare to you this morning that I really have a sort of a, a simple thing just to challenge us with. And it goes back to what I challenged you with out of my heart last week. And that is we need to have the power of the Holy Spirit involved in our lives so we take our faith out of the private realm and place it into the public realm and not to be fearful. Our faith is personal, but it is not private. It's never private. It's a public faith. All right. And in that public faith, there is a challenge for us to not be the rugged, individualistic, American, Western Christian that follows Jesus by ourselves. We do it together as a community of people. And so when you look at what's happening in the book of Acts, you find Jesus not just redeeming a couple, three individuals. He's redeeming a community of Christ followers, Christ followers who will ultimately be stamped one day as his bride into eternity. And we are to be public not only as individuals, we are to be public as a community of Christ followers and connected in community one with another. Now, at the end of Acts 2 last week, there is a strong passage, and they're not focusing in on the series, on the NBC series on Sunday nights, 
but hopefully you get a feel for it as it goes through time. At the end of Acts 2, we have a very famous passage that you might be very familiar with describing how they were together in community as followers of Jesus, identified as a community, not just as individuals. So it says this in Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Something is happening here with them where they now have something in common. The resurrection of Jesus, they had been scattered. They're from different walks of life, but they are together. And there is this this snowballing effect that's happening right before this. What I quoted last week was Peter stood up. He declared to them and those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day. All right. I keep waiting for the thousands of people to be represented on the TV screen. I suppose that's pretty hard to do. Three thousand represented. And a lot of times in the Bible, the scriptures, when they give a number, they're really just referring to the males. So you have the females and you have kids. It'd be a lot more. So about three thousand were added to their number that day. Then it says that they began to gather, not just the twelve and those associated with them, but I believe large pockets of people gathering. Verse 45, selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had need. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying. It's a key phrase, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added in their number even more daily those who were being saved. This is no longer this coward group of fearful ex-followers of Jesus who had died on a cross merely. These were now the growing massive numbers of jubilant, excited, glad Christ followers, the one who had been raised from the dead and enjoying favor with all the people. The reason the religious leaders like Caiaphas and others could not hold this back, Herod and Pilate, is because... Because there's this mob rush towards Jesus. This community is forming. The New Testament, we have the church of Jesus Christ being born. And it's being born very rapidly. It's being born in the midst of persecution and trial. But it's being born in community, one with another. And so everybody, maybe there were some people jumping on the bandwagon, but there were genuine people who were changing their trajectory of their worldview. And choosing to become Christ followers. And this was catching fire and making tremendous inroads around the place. Now that passage in Acts 2, we could drill down into a lot. We could give reference to the fact that they met in temple courts. This would be like a mass gathering. They met in their homes. They met in small groups. All right. My desire isn't to go there in detail today, but to be able to get a grip on the idea of what it was like and a call to us to be involved in community, one with another, on this mission of following Jesus and doing his work. Acts 2 has this beautiful passage. Acts 4 has another passage that we'll look about in a second. But I want to make this statement to us today. The best thing to advance your walk with Christ is to take your personal faith and go public on a journey of doing life with others. Come together regularly to pray, share, grow, serve, 
and be on mission. That seems like something really simple and straightforward. But can you identify with the challenge and the struggle it is as a Christ follower to do that in our contemporary culture? Life is fast. Life is full. There are a lot of responsibilities. There are a lot of things that we have to give rightful credence to. And a lot of times we just don't have time to take our faith public on a journey of doing life with others. But we have a choice to make. We can choose to try to live a Christian faith or even seek Christ out in our life if we've never crossed the line of being a Jesus follower, doing it on our own. But it was never intended by God for it to be that way. He wanted us to do it together as team. And there's nothing that will advance your walk more than to be able to be in close, consistent, regular interaction with others concerning your faith. Who are you going to go to when the mud hits the fan in your life? when there's marriage challenges, when you have fears, when your 16-year-old uh, is sorting losing their way? Where are you going to go when the health issues are there? Where are you going to go when there's really doubt in your faith and you're questioning God and everything that's going on? You're just going to hold up by yourself or are you going to be able to interact with others who can genuinely care for you and be the presence of God in your life? Now, from Acts 2, we see some striking References in chapter 4, we're not going to drill down into them, but in chapter 4, verse 3, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him into jail until the next day. That's where the episode ended last week. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew now to about 5,000. I like verse 13. Verse 13 says this in Acts 4. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, Unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with who? Jesus himself. Unschooled ordinary people coming together and they were empowered because they had been with Jesus and now the spirit of Jesus had come back in to possess them. And they together moving forward with a boldness because of his presence in their life. Chapter 4 verse 20 says, Verse 18 says, And they called them in again, these were the leaders, and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, I love this verse, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. You judge for yourselves if you think this is from God or not, but let me just tell you, this is what we saw. This is who we followed, and this is what happened. These are the facts. So the schooled ordinary men continued, and women continued to have a powerful impact. Verse 31 of Acts 4, And they prayed, and the place where they were meeting was shaken. Some type of earthquake, right? And they were all filled freshly with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So the snowball effect's happening. It's not an individualized faith. They're in community, doing life together, reading the apostles' teaching, reflecting back through Scripture, breaking bread together, having fellowships, having laughs. They are on the high side of knowing that they are the victors. Though they are surrounded 
by opposition and doubt. But together, they are bonded through the power of the Spirit. They move forward. Jesus calls you into that community to be empowered, to be protected, to be encouraged, and to move forward. To move forward in some pretty bold steps of faith. In fact, so much between the Acts 2 passage I read a little while ago and this Acts 4 passage, some things happen. But look at what happens in Acts 4. Another descriptive way of looking inside this New Testament community. In Acts um, chapter 4, it says this. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. They, there were no needy persons among them. And it goes on. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the cells and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So is the introduction of a new character, Barnabas, son of encouragement. And he was known by another name, Joseph, and he sold a field, brought the money, and says, let's use this together to meet the needs of who? The whole lost world? No, it was meeting the needs of the community of Christ followers that was starting to build. So they could tangibly be the feet in the presence and the hands of Jesus. Now, right after this in Acts 5, some of you are familiar what happens in Acts 5, and I'll just put that to tonight's episode. Don't mess with being insincere or lying before God and his community. That will be the story tonight. But these two passages, Acts 2 and Acts 4, I think depict something very beautiful that God intends for you to be a part of. But the adversary wants to drive you away from it. He will keep you busy. He will keep conflict in relationships. He will bring discouragement into uh, certain friendships. He will try to drive you out of Christian community. Watch his tactics. Watch his tactics. And he will move you into isolation. Why? Because solitary confinement is the worst kind of punishment. Oh, now people may bounce, or you may have bounced here or there. I understand that kind of thing. But there is a richness in the community of Christ that he calls us to. And we need to keep it sacred. I have a picture here, if you can put it up, Jonathan, of uh, something we had an opportunity to go to last night as a family. Last night, my son Ryan, a senior at APU, he's a film major, and he and his friends, they had done different movies and films, short films, and we had the uh, APU premiere night last night at the Writers Guild Theater in Beverly Hills. And this was a project that has occurred over the course of this whole semester and even semesters before related to writing the script and developing it. And Ryan and his team, Ryan's the center person in the top picture, um, they did this short film called Lucinio, which comes from the Lucinio Indians, which are from this area and some stories. Very well done, and I don't say that because I'm his dad. It was just really good. They gave a prayer of commissioning to the senior film students at the end. And you could see the joy in their faces in the big foyer afterwards as they celebrated and got pictures. 
but you could also see the tears because they've been on a journey of community that's been rich. They've been involved in doing a film project and they got to know one another deeply and they cared for one another. And their friendships, many of them will last a lifetime, which is pretty cool to see. Community was on rich display last night at the APU film premiere. The community that God desires for us to have, not for a film project, but for the project of the universe, his kingdom, is one that you can have rich community in as well. Friends for a lifetime. But you have to choose to be a part of the team. And choosing to be a part of the team means you stick with the team. Things may rise and fall, but you stick with the team like we do as family, one with another. And over the course of time, you'll be able to look back on the trajectory of your life and see richness in a biblically functioning community as God intended for it to be. And so my challenge today is in this whole area that we take our private faith and we dismiss it as private. Yes, it's personal, but it's not private. It's public. And we go on a journey of doing life together and we become committed to it because you cannot walk through the book of Acts without seeing this unfold in a contagious kind of manner. And you have to choose within your heart to say, I want to be a part of that. We can't go back 2,000 years ago, but in 2015, we can be on the ride and the journey today. But you've got to commit. You've got to commit time. You've got to commit resources. You've got to commit some humility sometimes to be able to be engaged in the community that God called us to. Hebrews 10 says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That passage is written multiple years after the Acts 2 and the Acts 4. Why? Nothing changes. We're human beings and it's easy to disconnect from community. And so the writer to the Hebrews here is exhorting people to hold unswervingly to the hope and to not give up meeting together. I love the word unswervingly. It reminds me of somebody sticking their hands on a steering wheel and staying put. Been here a year and a half in the valley. I was always told, be careful, don't go on that Ortega Highway over the mountain. Zach and I did it last week. It wasn't that bad. I think I might take the joy ride again. But it winds up through there and heads back down into Orange County. And I thought to myself, I want to look at some of the view. And he's like, you stay on that steering wheel. That's right. Hold her right there. We were coming back last night from the APU premiere and took Bundy Canyon Road. And somebody, uh, I guess it ended up being a head-on collision. And in the darkness of the night, lights flashing, firemen out. They had rolled and they were out. And I'm thinking somebody crossed over that line and an accident happened. Everybody's okay from my understanding from what I read. But it's that idea that stick your hands on the wheel and hold tight. Because the adversary wants you to careen off the edge. And be found in isolation or not be found in the middle of the community God called you to be a part of to be able to forward His kingdom. So stick with it. Hold unswervingly to it. 
And it may be a large gathering. It may be a small group gathering. But do not neglect it. It will be the temptation to move you away from what God intended and away from experiencing the presence of Jesus Christ. And sadly, friends, in our culture, this is happening a lot. Let me give you some statistics from an organization that does statistics. Barna. Churchlessness in America. In the 1990s, the percent of those who were churchless was 30%. I mean, friends, this isn't going back to 1950s. We're talking 1990. I think we can all relate to that here. 30% of Americans were described as churchless. In 2000s, 33%. And in 2014, 43% are described as churchless in America. Now, those aren't really great statistics, are they? The trajectory there is not boding well. The way they come up with the statistic is they have a dividing line. They have four groups of people. They have the purely unchurched that do not currently, uh, they do not currently and have never attended church. The de-churched, which is becoming a larger category, were once active in church but are no longer. Then there's the minimally churched. They attend church infrequently and unpredictably. And I find this really funny to me. I'm sorry. You have to forgive me. But the actively churched are described as those who attend church at least once a month. (laughs) That's about the truth when you think about our schedules sometimes, isn't it? Well, in these numbers... For 2014, 10% were purely unchurched, 33% were the de-churched, 8% were the minimally churched, and 49% were actively churched, right? So they said that the churchless portion of our culture right now has increased to 43%. Here's the thing, though, that that statistic doesn't tell you. Though it's said that 40 to 50% of people maybe would describe themselves or more, a little bit more, as actively church-going people, on any given Sunday, you will only find about 20% of people in a church. And it continues to decline. And in Southern California, it's even declining to 18%. Why? Well, we step back and we say to ourselves, because it's such a pagan, secular culture. Well, it may not be that. There is the power of secularity, but in a second I want to give reference to some of the things I think that we need to own up to concerning that statistic. Let me give you another statistic that's listed here. Younger means you're more churchless. You can identify yourself with one of these four generations, the elders, the boomers, the busters, or the mosaics. The busters are sometimes referred to as the generation X and the mosaics are referred to as the millennials or Gen Y. The elders, I won't ask for hands here, but those that are born 1945 or earlier, only 28% would describe themselves um, as churchless. All right? The boomer generation, 46 to 64, if you're born there, 35%. The busters, 40% are churchless. And the mosaics, Those born 84 or actually 82, the millennials are and forward. Uh, Those would be teenagers and 20-something people today, young 20-somethings. 48%. 
I think somebody's taken their hand off the steering wheel. What do you think? Well, church attendance doesn't mean all that much in God's eyes. No, you're right. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross to fill up a bunch of chairs and auditoriums with people. Jesus Christ died on a cross to change and transform people. But I tell you what, if you're not in the body of Christ, there's not going to be transformation many a times. Because it's through the interaction and the sharpening and the encouragement of others that we find our way to the Lord. There is some good news, though, and I want to position this good news. Two in three unchurched Americans say they are spiritual. More than half say their faith is very important to their life. 99% are aware of Christianity and 69% hold a favorable view of it. Yet nearly half see no value in personally attending church. So whose fault is this? Whose fault is this? Well, we all carry our own blame. And there is no reason for anybody to stand in front of you, especially a preacher on a Sunday morning church service, and throw guilt trips. But I do think there's rightful evaluation before the Lord that we need to take in saying how important is not only church attendance, but more important to me is how important is it to be on journey and do life together and grow in Christ together, one with another. Is that a part of my life? Is that something I am seeking to do on an active basis? Or is it, you know, it's just optional. And maybe not only for you, your life do you need to ask this, but more importantly, how about asking it on behalf of the kids that we're all raising, some of us? Is church seen as optional? is the idea of gathering together to be able to fellowship and share and and look at the apostles' teaching, to break bread, to have some laughs, to be able to go on mission together. Is that something our children see as a prominent importance more than all the other scattered activities we think we have to have them involved in in order for them to keep up with their peers? It's a sobering thing for us to sit back and reflect on it. Let me go back to this Hebrew passage and give us the challenge. Let us is spoken four times in this Hebrew passage. So let's that, let's let that just stand as the exhortation to us. Let's let Scripture speak to us. Number one, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. What's the hope? We follow a resurrected Jesus. He was the first fruits of the resurrection of all dead people. Some that are dead will be raised to a life of eternity with the Lord. Others will be raised to a life of eternity without the presence of the Lord. That's the promise, the hope that we profess as a community. Let's hold unswervingly to it and declare it. Number two, let us and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So when you're in a small group environment, when you're meeting a community group, you're spurring one another on to, yeah, I know your sister is really a big pain, but you have to choose to love her in the midst of her pain. Let's pray with you. And maybe just that one little thing helps you get through that particular day concerning your sister. All right? 
Spur one another unto love and good deeds. Well, what could we do? What could we do for so-and-so who we've heard about that's in need? Well, maybe we could get together and provide some of our own possessions and resources to help them. And so you spur one another on in that community. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then let us, number three, not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, I'll just be very clear here. I understand that God calls people and he moves them around from one community to another. But there is an awful lot of church shopping and hopping that destroys the community God intended for us to have. And so we see people move from one local community to another local community. But I tell you what, you're looking for something you'll never find. Because every experience of community you go to will be different because you're at a different season of life and there's a different group of people So don't be out in the consumeristic attitude of what am I going to find out of a community. You make the decision, what am I going to contribute to the community for it to become all the things that God intended for it to be. And you make a choice to stay put. Even sometimes when there's conflict and problems within that little group. Why? Because if anybody should be able to love and care for one another, it's believers in Christ. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But it's rewarding once we walk through it. My little exhortation, but a lot of times I find number three being something Satan gets the grip of us on because of an unwillingness to go the extra mile to push through things. Number four, encourage one another then. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Those are four simple things. You can find them in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. You don't even need to write them now. They're on your tablet, your cell phone. They're in your Bible. They're there. Let's give heed to them. I'm going to give you four practical ways for us to sort of jump on board and be a part of the community of the Awakening Church more. And I list them up here with these pictures. The first is I want to encourage you to actively be a part of a community group. There's three groups that are actively walking through the AD series right now. Another group that's walking through, I believe, 1 Corinthians. And um, uh, there's a men's group that's meeting on Saturday mornings. Make a consistent effort to be a part of a community group. We call them missional community groups because we desire these groups not only to be about encouragement of one another and loving and spurring one another on, but then going out and being able to be the presence of Christ consistently. Most of them meet on a weekly basis. Oh, my goodness, that's a time slot. Friends, I'm the same way. Trust me, when I came back late Friday night, and I'm like, oh, I've got a men's group in the morning. Surely they can do it by themselves. <laughs> Even pastors think that. But I tell you what, every time that I come at 7 and we meet from 7 to 8 and we share together, I walk out of here going, that was rich and good. I'm glad I came. I'm glad I got up early on my Saturday. Now, again, I'm not throwing guilt. Trust me, I am too old to try to throw guilt trips on people. But I am asking you to center yourselves before the Lord and listen to what the Lord would say about your consistent diet of being in a regular small group together that can function as your community and you can grow. So the community groups, if you want to be in one, just mark community groups on the uh, connection card that's in your seat back. We'll be glad to get you connected and show you some of the options. Tom and Debbie Parnackian came to me a few weeks ago listening to the Spirit of God, and they said, we would like to do dinners for sixes. We'll tell you more about it, but they would like us to put together, oh, they're actually going to be leading the project, 
And if you would like to get together with, if you're a couple, get together with two other couples. If you're a single person, we'll get you together with a group of total of six and meet consistently once a month for a dinner. A dinner in, a dinner out, high end, low end, doesn't matter. You guys decide, but you do it consistently for three months in a row, just one dinner each month. You see where the friendships take you. So we're going to be signing up for dinners uh, for six. I'm going to talk about the Alliance Council thing a little bit. But we have, I guess, what's being referred to as Sunday seconds. Would that be true, Sarah? <laughs> Sarah Hooper back here did a great initiative. Uh, I was walking out um, a couple, three weeks ago, and my wife says to me, hey, we're supposed to be going to this picnic. And I go, really? Wow, the Masters is on today. And uh, <laughs> sure, we'll be there, you know. We showed up, and there was this community of not only some of you from the awakening at a park, but some other people connected and disconnected, some church, unchurched, that kind of thing. And we just hung out with a freelance kind of picnic fun meal. That was the Sunday I showed the, what's that thing called? Slag. Slack line, slack line. People are trying to slack line everything. And this was over at a park, yeah. <laughs> uh, this was over at a park on Washington, just north of Benton. And I, is this true? We're going to try to do this every month, the second Sunday of every month, or the first or second Sunday. We'll get word out. There's a Facebook page otherwise. Why are we doing this? Just because we like to party. No. One of the realities of this church is there's not relationships being built as strong as they need to be built. And sometimes they can be built in a small group. Sometimes they can be better built just hanging out and having times and sharing one-offs with things that are happening. So second Sundays, you'll hear more about it, but the second Sunday is coming up every month. I'll let you know on that. You just bring your own stuff. This is all big pitch in deal. I mean, there's no organization to this. If you don't bring something, it's not going to be good. So you bring something. (laughs) (laughs) My wife brought a bunch of food from the grocery store. I'm like, plenty of food. Oh, I didn't realize there's that many people coming. Um, The last thing is... uh, the Alliance Council. We are part of a denomination called the Christian Missionary Alliance that exists with about 2,000 churches in the United States, but it's more known around the world because it's been involved in global missions for 100-plus years. And um, every two years, they have a big party. They call it General Council. They do some business, but we hear from God. We see one another. In fact, when I go to General Council's, uh, it's like just a big family reunion because you've built family beyond just your local nucleus, all right? General Council this year is on the West Coast. It's in Long Beach at the Convention Center from May 26th to the 31st. Every night at 7 p.m., there's a worship service. There will be probably, I would say, uh, you never know how many showing up. There will be at least 4,000 people there, all right? And... Like the first night, the first Tuesday night, I think Francis Chan is speaking, all right? Large amounts of worship, not only a great speaker, but there will also be a missionary uh, that just gives a real challenge about what's happening globally, all right? There's ministry fair booths and other things going on. I want to encourage us as a community to consider, if you're, especially if you're over in OC or something, to be able to show up at the convention center for general counsel. Now, you can go for the whole week. You can register and do that, and you can go online to find that out. Uh, what's up? You can also register for 10 bucks just for the weekend, and there's seminars on Saturday and stuff that are good. But one of the things I'm going to have us do, and it's been on your post now for a few Sundays, is we're going to do a road trip. 
And on Sunday, May 31st, I want us all to go to Long Beach. Here's the challenge of it. One, Long Beach is not at the bottom of the road. The service starts also at 9.30. So here's a commitment. At 7.30, I want you to leave. Whether you leave uh, from your driveway or you're here to meet at the church and we carpool and do something, I want us, as many people, to go on this particular Sunday, May 31st, because not only is a great worship service, but a lot of people from other Alliance churches, and there's about 110 Alliance churches in the SoCal district, is that they will show up and we'll be a part of a big missionary rally. You've never seen so many flags in your life. You've never seen so many missions workers from different places in the world, all right? It's an experience that captures your heart because you realize you're not only part of a small group community, you're not only a part of a local church community, you are a part of a much broader, grander community. Yes, the community called the Christian and Missionary Alliance, but you're a part of the community of the ongoing New Testament church that's going around the world. And it captures your heart. Now, some people may say, are we going to have church here that Sunday morning? I don't know yet. (laughs) I don't know yet. I would like to see who is able to go, who's not. So, with the connection card, every one of you in front of you, seat pocket, pull it out. I want you to write yes, no, maybe. And if there are five people who say no then I'll probably pick the strongest person out of that and have them show up at that person's house for church. (laughs) No. We may have service that morning. I don't know. It's Memorial Day weekend. I understand all the comings and going. Yes, no, maybe concerning the road trip. Next week, I'll show you a video concerning um, general counsel, and we'll continue to keep it on our map, but I just wanted to put that up front. We're going to have the worship team come now, and we're going to close with a new song, and this song is called The Creed. And in this is embedded a lot of straight-on theological belief. I love this song. I don't think that we've sung it in this church before. But when you were a part of a New Testament community, when they would come together and they would continue to hold unswervingly to the hope that they have, they would be able to declare what they believed as a community. Just as surely as you go training for new uh, career jobs that you have, as surely as you sit in a huddle for a, a sports team and have the coach bark out vision and direction before you head out of the locker room, when the community would come together, they would declare what they would believe. And not only what they believe with their head, but what they believed with their heart and the ownership that they had in this burgeoning New Testament community that was capturing the heart of the world and still captures the heart of the world today. So the ushers are going to come to receive our tithes and offerings as well as your connection card, especially your yes, no, or maybe, just to get a read. And um, we're going to declare this truth together as a local community. So ushers come. Let's sing together.